Hi, my name is Brendan Malone and you're listening to The Dispatches, the podcast that strives to cut through all the noise in order to challenge the popular narratives of the day with some good old-fashioned contrarian thinking. You might not always agree, but at least you'll be taking a deeper look at the world around you. Hi everybody, welcome along to another episode of The Dispatches. It's great to be back with you. If you're not already a subscriber to this podcast, whatever platform or app that you're listening on right now, why not hit that little subscribe button and that way you'll keep up to date about every single new episode that we publish. We try and record and publish two or three episodes every single week. Most weeks it's going to be about three episodes a week. Plus, here's the bonus bit, if you are a patron, a supporter of Left Foot Media, you get a special bonus episode each week as well. So if you want to get access to that bonus episode and you want to help support this content and see more of it get made, then you just need to go to patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is in the show notes for this episode. And if you become a monthly contributor of $5 or more per month, which is not much, is it? It's about a cup of coffee. Then you will get an extra four or five episodes a month of the podcast. So pretty good value for money there. Uh, a huge thank you to all of our new patrons who have joined us. You guys are awesome. Thanks to you, we're able to, to produce more of this content. And a little bit of exciting news is that we've got a brand new Left Foot Media website, which is well into production now. And I'm hoping to be able to let you know in the next week or two uh, the exciting details about that being launched and, and where you can go and see that and check out all of the great content that's available on Left Foot Media. Right, today's topic, and I, I have to start by saying this again, trust me folks, this is not a COVID-only podcast. I know the, 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 the overwhelming uh, amount of episodes so far have touched on COVID-related issues. It's purely, uh, what, what, I was going to say happy coincidence, but some might say it's an unhappy coincidence, uh, the, the fact that COVID is just dominating our lives and our current affairs so much at the moment that it sort of is a constant conversational topic. But trust me, there is a large and growing list. And on that large and growing list of podcast topics that I want to cover in future episodes, the, the COVID does not actually dominate that list. But at the moment, here we are. Now, one thing I want to talk about, and I really want to do this over two episodes, actually. So this is part one. And part two is actually a really great interview with a moral theologian uh, that I that I came across actually just in the last 24 hours after I'd actually prepared the the notes and uh, everything for this particular show and sort of got my ducks in a row, my thoughts about uh, forced vaccinations and vaccination mandates, you know, compulsory vaccination, why that's a bad idea. I read this excellent interview. And so in the next episode, what I want to do is I want us to sort of go through that interview and I just want to comment on it because there's, it just reinforces so much of what I said. It adds some really good things as well. And I, I think it's just great to hear from different voices on this particular issue. So today's topic is why forced uh, COVID vaccination is a very bad idea. So, you know, why the, the vaccine mandates, I don't think are a moral thing at all. First thing I want to say, though, is this, just to be clear, there will be people here listening uh, to this episode who have chosen to get vaccinated. And I'm not interested in passing judgment on anyone for, for any decision they've made, whether they are, they've, they're definitely rushing out as fast as they can to get vaccinated, whether they're waiting and they're hesitant, or whether they're saying, I'm not going to get that ever. Whatever camp you fall into... Uh, that's irrelevant. I, I think one of the worst and most frustrating things about all of this has been the way in which there's been a constant slew of, of 
judging and passing and separating people into different groups and then condemning one group or another for their decision. Generally, the condemnation has been heaped upon those who are vaccine hesitant, which I don't think is fair at all. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just not interested in that game at all. Uh, you're always welcome at my house, whatever your vaccination status is. Quite frankly, I actually don't care. I really don't care because I don't think uh, it's as big a deal as some have actually made this out to be. Uh, now, I know I'm sure some out there who are really staunchly pro-vaccine might uh, find that frustrating and, and say, oh, look, it's irresponsible of you. I don't think it is. I don't th it's never irresponsible to ask questions in an attempt to seek the truth. It's never irresponsible, I think, to open up good, fruitful and open dialogue and to have a genuine openness and a welcome to everyone, to anyone. Uh, you know, <laughs> to me, that's just the fundamentals of how you have a healthy society. Maybe I'm a little bit simplistic. Uh, the other thing I'll say too is before we jump into this is that um, that I think the anti and the pro-vax sort of uh, dichotomy is a false dichotomy. I think it's actually more complex than that. It's, it's more than just a single binary decision. I think there's people who, uh, in actual fact, and I like the term that some are starting to use now, they call it free vax. So these are people who are actually, and a lot of people in this group have already been vaccinated or are planning to get vaccinated, but what they also believe is that you should never compel someone to have a vaccination. And I think that's I think that that's a great way to sort of break that unhealthy false dichotomy and deadlock. Because I, I am not anti-vaccination. Our kids have been vaccinated. I have had, in fact, very recently, I had a, a booster vaccination for measles, uh, just only in the last two years uh, when an outbreak hit. So I'm not anti-vax. Uh, but I think that in each situation, you've got to actually carefully consider what the context is and also what the vaccine is. It's, it's not just one decision you make once where you say, right, well, I'm, I'm pro-vaccine now and every I don't care what it is, I don't care what the context is, just jab me in the arm, stick it all in there, I want it all, <laughs> the more vaccines, the better. That, that's, that's just not how it works, right? E each situation, so each viral outbreak, each pandemic, each disease is different, each context that where that takes place is different, and of course, each vaccine or medication that's being proposed is different as well. So yeah, I think if we could help avoiding that sort of unhelpful false dichotomy, I think that would be good. The other thing I'll say too is that I'm not a teenage libertarian baby. You might remember that song, I'm not a teenage dirtbag baby. I'm not a teenage libertarian baby. No offence to anyone who might be a teenage libertarian out there, but I'm a conservative in the mould of Edmund Burke. Uh, and so I'm not a proponent of or a believer in radical individualism doctrines or radical autonomy doctrines, my body, my choice, that kind of stuff. No, no, I, I think it's, uh, I think that's simplistic. I, and in fact, at times, I think that's just completely untrue. It is, I think that can be so counter to healthy, flourishing human societies. So this is not coming from a position of radical individualism. And that's, again, that's another false dichotomy that people assume just because you are vaccine hesitant or you are not in favour of this particular current slew of COVID vaccines, that you are somehow, you know, a radical individualist or, or a teenage libertarian, you know, who's, who's just like, um, yeah, you can't do that to me yeah, because it's my choice. That's, that's not at all true. It's not at all fair. And it's not where I'm coming from. Uh, in fact, I think probably a lot of people are not coming from that position, actually, but we're not bothering to listen to those people. Now, some people are for sure. But I think it's actually a lot more complex than that. For me, being a Burkean conservative, uh, I, I'm coming at this from the perspective of the fact that we should have a respect uh, for the human dignity 
and the legitimate freedoms uh, of, around conscience that that entails for every single human person. I think a healthy, vibrant respect for the common good requires that we have a healthy, consistent respect for uh, the dignity of every human person and their uh, uh, freedom of conscience. And I think this is really, really important. I mean, in the, in the natural law, Judeo-Christian tradition, Conscience is is hugely important. It's something right from the very beginning that we've always understood that is, in fact, uh, there's sort of two tiers to this. One is that a conscience must be well formed and properly formed in the truth. So you can't just sort of say, well, I'm not going to form myself properly in the truth and I'm going to choose to do whatever I want. So that's sort of a rejection of the radical individualist doctrine. Uh, and, and it's also built on this notion of the common good, which the, a good, healthy understanding of the common good is that the common good holds two things in tension, and that is the the good of the community as well as the legitimate rights and uh, appropriate freedoms of the individual. So the good of the individual and the good of the community, the two are held in tension, and neither should ever enforce itself or stomp upon the other in a way that is unjust. So there should never be a tyranny applied by individuals, uh, and there should never be a tyranny applied by the community that violates legitimate uh, um, rights and appropriate freedoms of the individuals. And so there's that that natural law tradition that sort of is built on this very clear idea. And and the fact that, uh, you know, the human conscience, you know, well-formed in the truth is a very sacrosanct thing. The Judeo-Christian tradition, in fact, would say that it's so sacrosanct that not even God himself will violate that. He will let you make a choice to walk away from uh, religious belief and belief in him. That that's you know he doesn't force you into that doesn't compel you so it's it's quite it's amazing how powerful that that doctrine is and it has been so pivotal in shaping so much of the West uh, and it's it's quite frightening how it's been eroded in so many ways in the West of late um, but it is a hugely important thing I think um, before we jump into the whole question of the morality of of vaccine mandates and compulsory vaccination I think one thing that's really important to point out too is the fact that there is a difference between compelling an action rather than prohibiting an action. They're not the same thing, and moral philosophy does, and rightly so, treats them differently. And most of our laws, if you look at our laws, are actually prohibitions, things that you're not allowed to do. And in that situation, those things should always be adhered to unless those things are unjust. So if the state, for example, came out and said that we are prohibiting all communication between children and their parents, or we are prohibiting all religious activities in, in our state. Those would be unjust, and you are not bound. Your conscience is not bound by an unjust law. An unjust law is an immoral law. You are not bound to respect that at all. Uh, you know, you are bound by laws that are true and good. Unjust laws, no, not at all. But Generally speaking, our laws and our prohibitions, they are just and they are good. So, you know, for example, you are not allowed to physically assault another person. There's a prohibition on that. Now, a prohibition on something like that is very different to an action where anyone, in this case the state, or perhaps an employer or someone else, is trying to compel you into an action. That's a very different moral context. And I think it's important to understand this because Things that you are compelled to do are not always, uh, or, or think you know, positive actions, if you like, are not always and cannot always be compelled. There is 
so uh, sometimes uh, you know, people might, I'm just trying to think of an example that people might raise and say, well, what about, okay, here's one. What about driving? What about driving, Brendan? You know, um, you know you, you're compelled to drive on the, the left-hand side of the road or wherever you are in the world. Maybe it's the right-hand side of the road. You know, that, that's, you're compelled to do that, aren't you? Well, in actual fact, that's not really the case at all. When you think about that law, the law actually prohibits you from driving on the wrong side of the road. So whatever that be, whichever country you're in. So let's say it's the right-hand side of the road. The, the law prohibits you from doing that, but it doesn't. And, and so there is a compulsion in a sense to drive on the left, but you're not actually compelled to drive on the left at all because you're not compelled to drive at all. You, you, the, the thing is, if you choose to get in a vehicle, the rule is you're not allowed to drive on the other side of the road, but you can equally choose to walk or I guess um, bike or you know, whatever it might be. And you are not compelled to drive on any side of the road. Uh, so yeah, it, it's uh, that's a, I know that's a sort of a simplistic um, example probably, but it, uh, the point is that things that we're compelled to do uh, are things that are sorry are positive moral actions. We're not always compelled to do. You know, I'm compelled to obey the law, except except when the law is trying to prohibit or force me to do something that is unjust or immoral, like enacting some sort of racial genocide law and then compel me into executing that law. No, 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 no. I'm compelled to obey the law up until a point. Whereas prohibition, the, the general norm is that with prohibition is that, yeah, those things we are actually always required to adhere to. And so I think that's a really important distinction that, that needs to be understood here because what's being asked is we're, we're talking about compelling people to engage in a positive action, not simply to refrain from doing something. And that's quite important here. There's a, there's a, there's a, what we're doing now is we're now asking people to conform their conscience to our wishes. We're asking people to act according to the way we want them to act rather than saying you are prohibited from acting in a certain way. We're in actually, we now want them to take a positive action, to engage in something. And effectively what we're actually asking people to do here is to engage in a moral action ultimately that we have chosen for them. And that, that is really the issue here. That, 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 and we talked earlier, I talked earlier about respect for freedom of conscience. So let, let's get into the, to the minutiae as all the cool kids say, Let, let's let's get into the depth of this and uh, start first of all. What I want to do is I want to explain why I think you can actually make a moral case in theory, in principle, for a mandatory vaccination campaign or regime. In theory. Please hear me out. Everyone's rushing to shut down the podcast and leave. And, and, and I want to go on then explain why I don't think that applies in the current COVID situation, because there's really, uh, there's actually, I think, nine or so important criteria that must always be satisfied here, uh, or eight or so really, isn't it, that must always be satisfied, and that those, all eight of those are not satisfied for the current COVID situation, and therefore you can't say it would be moral to have forced vaccinations in the current situation. And then what I want to do after that is, I, I, after unpacking those eight points, what I want to do is I want to highlight what I think the harms would be if you 
mandate or you force vaccination. You force people into vaccinations uh, in the current situation. So first of all, let's have a look at the eight criteria that I think have to be met in order for a forced, a compulsory, uh, a mandatory vaccination campaign to be moral. First of all, the vaccination that you are using, I think would have to have an unimpeachable safety profile. So that's long, you know, long range testing. So, you know, not just widespread, but an appropriate number of years to say that, you know, that there's, there's long term data on this. There is no question marks around safety. There's no hidden data. There's no uncertainties. There's no ambiguities. It's very, very clear that the safety profile of this thing is unimpeachable. You know, that you're not actually risking lives, even if your intention is to save other lives. Number two, the vaccine strategy itself, I think, would have to be safe. Again, there would have to be a high degree of guarantee that this was a safe strategy. So is it safe to vaccinate or to use the vaccine the way you want to use it? Or is that actually a risky proposition? I know in the current COVID situation, there are one or two highly qualified experts in this area who have raised that question and they have concerns that the current strategy, for example, they've got no problem with the vaccines but or using vaccines at all, but that the, they are saying that vaccinating with this type of vaccine in the middle of a pandemic is a risky thing to do because it could create uh, you know, evolutionary pressure points on the virus to evolve in a way that's not healthy and could do more harm. Now, I'm not an expert enough to comment on that, but, you know, so you'd have to say for certain that that wasn't a factor if you were going to conduct a mandatory vaccination campaign. Number three, I think you'd have to have a high degree of efficacy for the vaccine that you are proposing to uh, mandate for people to use. Now, this is the one area of the eight where I think you could possibly engage in a bit of horse trading, if you like. There could be a bit of a trade-off here, I think. So I think if the safety profile is unimpeachable and and the, the vaccine strategy is safe and all these other criteria I'm going to talk about in a moment are actually met, those qualifications are met, then I think even if you had uncertainty about the efficacy of the vaccine, that it, it, it could still be moral to do it. So like it might be a Hail Mary pass where you think, well, we've got to try this. We're not 100% certain about how effective it will be, but there's not going to be any harm to people uh, and, and there's not going to be any harm in, in the way we're doing this. So therefore, you know, the, the, you, you could say, well, we, we're going to, uh, we're going to do this. It's a trade-off. It's, we're going to take this risk and it's, it's um, because the risk is not with people's lives. Do you know what I mean? The risk is, uh, the risk is really in whether or not the strategy will work. Uh, number four, there needs to be a genuinely serious and urgent threat that would necessitate uh, mandatory vaccines. Uh, so that the threat needs to be real, it needs to be serious, it needs to be urgent. You know, you can't force people into a situation where potentially if you could wait and resolve it another way, then, you know, then I think you're, you're treading on dangerous territory there. And so I think that criteria would have to be met. Number five, there has to be no other way of preventing the harm. So if you could execute some other form of therapy or some other thing that itself was not harmful and was moral and everything else, then, and so there were two options on the table, one of them being allowing a person to choose a vaccine, another one allowing them to choose another therapy, then you could not, I don't believe, force people 
to receive <clears throat> mandatory vaccines over choosing the other option. Uh, number six, there has to be stringent monitoring of and a stringent and uh, you know easily accessible exemption for contraindicated people. So, <clears throat> for example, people who have actually got issues where if they get this particular vaccine, that would be putting their lives at risk. So they're an increased risk for the vaccine itself. There would have to be a clear and easily accessible exemption for that and, I think, stringent monitoring. So it's not just enough to say, oh, well, you don't have to have it if you don't want to because, you know, you've, you've, you've got uh, safety issues in your own personal physiology, your own personal health profile gives you safety issues. I think there would have to be stringent oversight by the relevant authorities to ensure that they're actually capturing these people and ensuring that those people are not exposed to harm, that we're deliberately trying to keep those people safe. Otherwise, what you've got without that sort of stringent monitoring and exemption is you've just got pure brute force utilitarianism, might makes right. And what you're saying there is that we are willing to break a few eggs to make an omelette. We are willing to do something extremely immoral. The end will justify the means. doesn't matter how few people it might be. might even be one or two. But we are willing to kill those one or two people, knowingly jeopardize their actual lives, and, and knowing that, of course, they will die. So willingly uh, take an action that will lead to the killing of the deliberate death of another human being, or however many it might be, in order to save millions and millions or billions and billions of others. That is not a moral position. That is utilitarianism, it's consequentialism, it is the end justifies the means. It's not just the outcome that we are interested in if we want to be truly moral people, it's also the method we use to achieve that outcome. They both must be moral. That's really, really important. And I think a way to ensure that would be as if there's actual stringent monitoring, so you're actually saying we are doing everything we can to protect these people. It's not just a, a wishful sort of a talking point as we carry on, sort of just end justifies the means, who cares sort of thing. A great example of this in the current situation is people who have had COVID previously. How do they factor into any sort of mandatory vaccination campaign? Because the data is indicating to us at the moment that if you've had COVID previously, you have the most effective form of protection against future COVID that can be offered from any source. That's number one. And number two, there's some interesting uh, questions now starting to be raised about whether or not we should be giving you vaccines if you've already had COVID. And so there's a little bit of a question mark, I think, around that as well. So uh, what are we doing to actually monitor for that? And what, are, what we're, how do our plans include that? As far as I can see, a lot of these rushed vaccination campaigns and measures, they don't really consider the people who've already had COVID. They, don't just, they just don't even factor into this. And I don't know why that would be. Uh, number seven criteria, I think the vaccines must be ethical. So, you know, you, you can't have, I don't know, um, slaughtered a hundred people in Southeast Asia and extracted their organs and used that in, as, as some part of the process of, of making this wonderful new vaccine. So the vaccines themselves must, must be ethical or the principle of remote cooperation must be satisfied. So in the current situation, there are those who would say, I have ethical objections about these vaccines because most of them, or so far I think all of them, have involved either in the testing process or in the production of the vaccine, there has been the use 
of uh, cells that were acquired as the result of an abortion. And so people would say the deliberate killing of an innocent human being is not something I can ever ethically endorse. And so the vaccines themselves uh, have an ethical, that there's a, they are unethical in that regard. Now, what the principle of remote cooperation would suggest, though, just in, in a very sort of loose way, loose summary of this, is that because that action happened so, it was so distant to you, the person receiving the actual vaccination, and the need is urgent, it's a life-saving thing, a life-or-death thing, then even though the vaccines still remain unethical, you are not doing anything unethical yourself by receiving them. And I think that's really, really important. Some people, I think, have misunderstood this, and I've seen people presenting this as if the remote cooperation principle says uh, that the vaccines have become ethical because of that. No, the, 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 the actual correct understanding would be that the vaccines themselves aren't made ethical by that, but the person who has need of, you know, has the in desperate need to receive that to save their life, they themselves are not uh, participating in that and are not, do, are not doing anything unethical themselves, the original unethical act. So it, it would be ethically acceptable for them to receive that, even though the vaccine itself has a problem. Uh, and by the way, the, the general moral norm here would be too that you should also, even if you're receiving the vaccine and, and you have this ethical concern, that you should also be calling for uh, more ethical vaccine manufacturing methods and testing methods. So it's sort of a both and, not one or the other. And the eighth and final criteria that I think would have to be met before a mandatory vaccination campaign could be considered moral is that those who are mandating the vaccine, who are forcing people to be vaccinated, must take full liability for any harms. So I think that the person who is receiving on the receiving end of this, they must never, ever be left in a situation where, even if all the other criteria are met and something was to go wrong that was just so completely and wildly unforeseen that it couldn't be reasonably predict, uh, predicted and and, and therefore wouldn't be an impediment to actually a vaccine, running a forced vaccination campaign, uh, that, that those who might experience such harms uh, would know that they or their families would be appropriately compensated for that. So there would be uh, proper liability taken here. And I don't mean by that a situation where others are forced to take liability on behalf of those who are mandating. So if the state is the one who is forcing the vaccination, then I think the state is where the liability lies with. They couldn't say, well, we're going to mandate vaccinations for all employees in certain industries, but we're also then going to force the employer to actually take liability for that person. I think that that would be immoral and would not satisfy that criteria. So there you go. There's eight criteria that I think if those eight criteria could absolutely be guaranteed and could be met, then in principle, in theory, then I think you can have a mandatory vaccination campaign provided that all eight of those criteria are met. But I think in the current situation with COVID-19 and with this particular vaccine initially that, that well, we were at right now with the vaccines and, and what's on offer, I don't think all eight of those criteria are met. I think there's several clear question marks here. Uh, we don't have an unimpeachable safety profile yet. We just don't. It, it's not, 
it's it's a uh, that's going to take us a couple more years yet to get to that point. I believe um, there are questions about strategy. Do we have a high degree of efficacy? Well, the vaccines, they the indication is at this stage that they certainly seem to reduce your chances chances of hospitalisation and uh, of dying of of COVID in the vast majority of people who take them. So you can say that's definitely an efficacy factor. But then what they don't do is they aren't as good at reducing transmission. It's uh, it's it's the data is sort of mixed at the moment, but it does seem that it's sort of a 50-50 thing. And so that raises a question about vaccine strategy and, and whether or not that's, you know, and because you're dealing with a virus and obviously mutation and things like that come into it. So does that create a, a particular problem for your vaccine? Um, you know, I, I think these are sort of issues that possibly we're still working through again because COVID's also a, a nineteen COVID nineteen is a novel virus to us. There's a lot we don't know, or we're sort of learning about it and how to respond to it. Um, yeah, is is a genuinely serious and urgent threat? Well, I think in in one sense you'd say there's a genuinely serious and urgent threat, really around overwhelming of the healthcare system. Uh, and and what that would mean for the population in general and the harm, the serious harm that that could do and how easily that can happen. Uh, some might respond to that by saying, okay, but is that a problem that could be resolved in other ways? Uh, you know, do we need to then beef up our capacities to handle uh, COVID patients so that that doesn't happen, you know, and therefore we wouldn't need to force people into vaccinations? Uh, I think some people might say the fact that the virus is uh, survivable by the overwhelming majority of people who contract it. So yes, it's more harmful than influenza, but it's nowhere near as harmful or deadly, sorry, as uh, you know other respiratory viruses that we've had circulating previously, or you know things like the black plague or whatever you know whatever you want to compare it to. It it's not at that level. So, um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a prudential question there. It's not a clear-cut binary again, black or white. You know, at what point do you say, well, we, we now consider something to be, you know, uh, in, in, in the extreme danger territory um, versus, well, the fact that, you know, a large percentage of people survive it. What, what is that percentage difference is, I guess, what I'm asking here. And I think there's a bit of grey. You know, obviously I'd say a 30% death rate uh, you know, 70% uh, death rate, uh, sorry, 70% um, survival rate, so 30%, uh, you know, death rate is, is is a lot worse and clear. And to me, that's a very clear and serious and urgent threat. Um, but is, you know, is a, is is 95% or, you know, versus 98%? Is, there's some sort of gray in here, I, I think, a little bit here. that, that And again, I think, I think probably context matters a lot as well. And I think it would also be worth considering, like any moral equation, you have to consider the context in which this would be proposed. So, you know, what's the risk to an individual population? You know, just because population A might have a whole lot of risk factors and might be able to satisfy all eight of these criteria. And so you say, well, you know, there's an urgent need here. That might not apply to population B. They might have other factors present that reduce their risk considerably. And so I think all of these things have to be taken into account. It's again, it's this is not simple. And I think anybody wants to make this simple, a simple yes/no binary, I think they're not doing good uh, moral reasoning. I don't think um, because this isn't simple. It is not simple at all. And so I, I think that. And again, this is one of the big reasons why I think when you've got a complexity like this, you need to err 
on the side of caution and not engage in compelling people to take actions. I think you, you've actually got to to uh, be willing to move as as a society with that uncertainty. I think part of the problem here that that the sort of compelled vaccination mentality comes very much from a culture of safetyism, which now dominates a fear of death, which now dominates the West, a uh, a sort of a technocratic control of so much of our lives and and you know thanks to advances we've made we now just sort of assume that we can control everything so look look just make it go away give us a fix you know fix it make it stop happening and and so all of this sort of um breeds a sort of uh, uh, a mentality of quick 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 we must we must force people to get vaccinated um so we can all be safe again and we can make the problem go away we've solved the problem um you know it, it's not necessarily like people are, are, are directly thinking that way but there's no doubt those kind of factors influence our society and we're all like frogs in a pot stewing in those mentalities and and philosophies and so when it comes to a crisis point those things naturally even if we don't realize it are forming our thinking unless we stop and we deliberately pull back from that and say i need to consider this a bit more carefully and a and a bit more morally so what what are the harms that i think would come if you had a forced vaccination campaign in the current situation? Well, first of all, and there's some different categories here, I think, that need to be considered. There's, there is the moral harms that I see straight away. Um, I would see this in the current situation as a clear violation of Hippocratic medicine. You know, the, the Hippocratic tradition, which is built on that principle of I, I will do no harm. Uh, so I will, you know, the principle of non-malfeasance. I will never act in a way that would knowingly cause harm. And secondly, uh, the principle of beneficence, I'll always act for the benefit of the patient, of the subject. Now, there are times when you can apply the principle of what is sometimes called force majeure, you know, where you override normal things like, for example, informed consent. Uh, you know, the norm is that you don't treat a patient like they are mentally incompetent. That's not the norm. That's a failure to respect their human dignity. You treat patients who have some sort of mental impairment differently because they actually are in a situation where their mental capacity, capacities, their faculties, their abilities to give proper informed consent are impaired. And so people who don't have that impairment have to start acting on their behalf. Something similar happens with children, right? Slightly different, but there's a, a similar principles at play there. But you might have situations where, uh, let's say a, a patient arrives at a hospital and they are unconscious and they need a particular life-saving treatment. Now, the norm is that a competent, mentally competent patient has to give informed consent. You, d you don't just start treating them. But, however, if they arrive in a state of unconsciousness, the doctors don't sit back and do nothing and say, well, I couldn't get consent. You know, if, if a patient needs a life-saving treatment, then, you know, the principle of force majeure, I'm acting for the good of the patient, uh, and, and so, therefore, because they couldn't give the normal informed consent, I'm going to just assume and sort of, uh, impose upon them, if you like, um, because I'm acting for their good. But in this situation, I don't think you can satisfy that when you've got mentally competent people who are uh, who who have a vast array of information in front of them and who are in a very complex situation with lots of moving parts. And so I don't think that you could say, oh, "Well, we're acting for their good," even if you know you're, you're treating them as if they are incapable of making a choice. And I think that's a violation of Hippocratic medicine. I think it's a violation clearly of human conscience. Now, human conscience, as I said, must be formed in the truth. But 
that this idea of compelling people into a moral course of action, which is, you know, the, the, the whole course of action of, of being vaccinated, I think you are violating human conscience at that point. You're requiring them to participate in your actions without their consent to participating in, in your actions. What you're actually really asking them to do is to facilitate, to be part of facilitating an outcome that you want. And that's, as I said, that's different from saying you must refrain from doing something. That's different. It's, it's different uh, from any other situation because, as I said, you're trying to achieve or facilitate a particular outcome and you're forcing them to help you achieve that outcome. And in that situation, the principle of respect for human dignity and individual human conscience uh, must be respected. It must be respected. I think it's also, there's a great moral hypocrisy in this, and um, I, I sort of wasn't sure where to put this. I put this under the moral harms. I'm not sure if it's a harm, really, in a sense, but th there is a great moral hypocrisy here, though, that we have now some of the most ardent supporters and promoters of the my body, my choice ideology when it comes to other issues are now claiming the exact opposite is true when it comes to this issue of vaccination. And that is a clear moral hypocrisy. It is a, it is a clear lack of principles. And uh, th there is a difference, by the way. So uh, I should say on the flip side. So I'm not an adherent to my body, my choice. I believe there are limits to what you can do with your body if your bodily actions are going to cause harm to others. But here's, I'm not being inconsistent by then saying, well, you can't force people to get vaccinated because I'm not trying to claim that forced vaccinations would satisfy this idea that, you know, it's not your body, it's not your choice. You know, your, your bodily choices, if they're going to do harm to others, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to make them. But the extra step here is really this respect for human dignity and also the point that I'm not simply asking you to refrain from doing something with your body. I'm asking you now to do something to your body. And there's a big difference there, and that's a very important difference. But going the other way, it is hypocritical to say, well, I'm a big proponent of my body, my choice, but pick whatever issue you want to. But on this issue, no, 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 your body, my choice. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's a, there's a hypocrisy there. I think there are the, the questions and harms, if you like, around the sort of the practical, the efficacy of all of this. So the data is, is clear. We've known this for a while, that punitive vaccination schemes uh, you know, the carrot versus the stick approach. If you take the stick to to trying to compel vaccination, they are less effective. They are not, and there's reasons why you wouldn't do this ongoing. I'll talk about this uh, uh, as we move forward through this section, but the, the punitive vaccination schemes are less effective. And one of the risks I see here that I'm not sure people have really considered is, will it actually... Uh, cause people to fake vaccine documents or drive people underground who don't get vaccinated. And I would suggest to you that is actually a, a societal harm because it might not seem like much on, on its, at a surface level, but when you think about it, it's much better for us to know how many people and, and you know where those people are, if you like, and I don't mean in a, in a creepy over surveillance, you know, overreach of the state kind of way, but we just know, like in this particular demographic, in this particular area, um, that we have, you know, this percentage of people who are unvaccinated. It's better to know that information than to have an unknown, 
unvaccinated population. So in other words, you assume that, let's say you assume we've got 100% vaccination, but in actual fact, 10% of people have hidden or have faked documents to get away with not being vaccinated, and you don't know that fact, I would have thought that that's actually far greater risk in, in public policy settings and health planning and stuff like that. I would have thought that's an extremely serious risk to actually not know that. And so you don't want to do, do things, create pathways and courses of action that are actually going to result in that likely outcome. Uh, I, I know of at least, uh, and don't think this won't happen, if you think this won't happen or this can't happen, I think you are underestimating human nature and you are underestimating uh, human ingenuity. I know of, I know for a fact of one situation already, not in this country, but I know of a situation where someone was uh, able to get official documentation without, and deliberately so, without vaccination. And so I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's naive to think that that won't happen. And, and th there's a harm in that if we don't know where and what percentages we're actually dealing with. Um, the, one of the other big harms here, of course, is on the practical side of this, is that this really is something that targets low-income earners. It, it's not, this is not a mandate for the elite, really, in, in general terms, because what's happening at the moment is it's, it's being targeted to uh, people who are employed in particular jobs. And so... What happens is, and, and also there's talk about targeting these sort of vaccine mandates around bars and restaurants. Well, if you're a low-income earner, um, you know, that, th those kinds of things hit you harder. So if you're a low-income earner, low-skilled workforce, whatever field you might be in where it's really risky for you to lose your job, then you're forced to get vaccinated. You've got no choice. But if you're a high-income earner, or you've got a skill set that allows you easily just to leave one place and start up somewhere else, then you aren't compelled by this sort of mandate at all. You have the freedom to actually choose whether or not you're going to follow it. Uh, you know, accessing restaurants and bars, well, I guess maybe it's not as big a deal for higher income earners who can find workarounds for that kind of thing, who can still have dinner parties in large homes, I guess. I mean, maybe it's not, that's not, not so much of an imposition for low income earners either. But um, I think, generally speaking, that these are measures that are, that are not actually, you know, this so-called choice is not actually a living, a level playing field in practice at all. Another thing, when you think about the practical and the efficacy of this is we don't have complete data on the vaccines and, um, you know, sort of the vaccine strategy just yet. It's still, you know, we're looking at it hopefully and things are looking hopeful but there are still blind spots there. There are still uncertainties here. And compelling people into a situation of uncertainty, sort of to participate in a situation of uncertainty, and compelling people to participate when we don't have an unimpeachable guarantee of safety here is an immoral thing to do. It's not enough to say, oh, well, look, look, no, no, they've been working on these kind of vaccines for years. That's not how this works. Each vaccine and each virus that you're responding to, in this case the pandemic, right, it's, it's a new thing. And this is a new vaccine technology, a new vaccine for that new thing. So you can't say, well, you know, in general, yeah, sure, in general that's fine, but now we're getting into the minutiae of specifics. And when you're dealing with specific vaccines and specific viruses, that's different. 
And so you need specific data on those specific things. Um, the, there's, there is a question around vaccine harms that I think remains up in the air at the moment. I have not heard yet a compelling case that leaves me fully satisfied that we are actually fully surveying and understanding and have accounted for properly all of the harms that are being done by the vaccine and that we know for certain those harms are within an acceptable safety range, you know, like a, a moral safety range and that we're, we're not actually exposing more people to harm than we should be or we would normally tolerate with other vaccines. Now, I've heard people say things like, um, you know, the vaccine reporting systems are not, you know, um, highly controlled uh, things. And so therefore, you know, the data needs to be more carefully examined in each individual case uh, on the, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a point. But there's also a lot of reports coming in. So are, are people, are we going to account for that by saying these are all forgeries or hypochondria? I mean, there could be. But no one's made a compelling study of that data to say to me, look, we can put this to rest. Here's what we've found. I have yet to see that compelling case. We also know that generally and traditionally vaccine adverse events are underreported. So, you know, in a sense that sort of that doesn't cancel that out, but it does sort of make a counterclaim, if you like, on that, that, that says we do need to we do need to look at this. Um, I, I, I've yet to hear that sort of compelling case. I've had people anecdotally in the medical profession, I've had one person in particular who, a great, great person and really good, you know, ethical and caring doctor who said to me that they personally have not seen any major increase in incidents that they might expect to see if, if this was happening. So they haven't seen it in their practice personally. And they've also had cases where people have fixated on the vaccine and vaccine harms. And so they've mistaken things that are not vaccine harms for the vaccine. But... At this stage, that's that, like, that's anecdotal. Like I haven't seen a compelling um, examination of this issue that puts the bed to rest. That or puts the bed to rest. Puts the the issue to bed. Puts it to rest in a way that I think is compelling and gives us a degree of certainty here. That, that for me, there's some questions. Um, I think one thing I think will be interesting, and, and it's really, again, this is a time thing. We might be able to look back in two years and get a better handle on this, but to look back and, and look at various populations and say, okay, have we had uh, excess mortality or an excess heart attack and stroke rate uh, over these this period where we've been handing out vaccines all these years? Do you know what I mean? Like, It's that kind of data we need to consider into the mix as well, I think. Um, and, and I, I think we're still not quite there yet. You know, as the old saying goes, there's lies, damn lies and statistics. And that's certainly been the case with this pandemic. You know, I saw a headline the other day here from New Zealand saying, um, it said something like, uh, was it 79? I can't remember the exact, exact figure, but I think it was 79%, 79% of, of, or it might've even been higher of people who, uh, had COVID in this latest outbreak we had in New Zealand were unvaccinated. Now, that statistic really isn't particularly helpful in this situation because we, at, at the time this outbreak happened, we were also a highly unvaccinated population. So people look at that statistic and go, oh, wow, it proves something about vaccine efficacy. But when you actually bore down into it and put it into proper context, you realize, what well, doesn't actually. Because if you've got a high population of people who have, uh, who have not been vaccinated, 
then it's only natural that you are going to see a high percentage of COVID cases in that high population of unvaccinated people. You know, th- th- you would expect to see that. So, you know, you you this so you haven't f- a factored in the fact that well, a lot of people weren't vaccinated. You know what I mean? So it's 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 that's been sort of the, I think the story of this pandemic is often these statistics get thrown around, and and that's that goes both ways. I think, by the way. Um, I think it's a failure really too to, to respect the precautionary principle. So one of the most important principles in human ethics is do no harm. Comes to us di- direct, directly from Hippocrates himself, the, you know, of the Hippocratic medical tradition. But there's another really important principle in human ethics and it's called the precautionary principle. And that basically is this. If, if there's some indication that your actions could be causing harm or could cause harm, you should halt and wait until you've ascertained with certainty that a current course of action is definitely not causing harm. And I think we've, I see either in danger of or have actually violated that principle left, right and centre throughout this pandemic. And I know probably those who would, who would say, well, I think we can justify that because the urgency and the need was so great. Well, I, I, I'm not so certain you can and I don't believe in playing fast and loose with important ethical and moral principles like this. Um, Let me give you an example of the precautionary principle. Um, Let's say that you were in charge of demolishing a building with explosives and you rigged all the explosives, you checked the building the night before, uh, you know, you walked through a couple of stories, you looked around, seems all good and off you went. And then some people started approaching you over the next 24 hours or so, you know, you're due to demolish it 24 hours time. And they say things like, look, I saw kids running in there and playing in there. Uh, there's homeless people living in there, and 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 you, and you say, well, look, I, I checked the building, uh, you know, twelve hours ago. It's fine. You'd have to say, no, you're failing the precautionary principle there because a lot can happen in tw- in twenty four hours. So so you need to be absolutely certain. And if there's evidence here, like like lots of people are sort of sticking their hands up and saying, I've seen homeless people setting up tents in the in the basement. I've seen kids in there. I've seen people, I, you know, even if it's people just saying things, look, I've seen what look clearly like human beings in the upper story windows. I couldn't be certain, but I could see movement. You know, we, we need to check this out. Then the precautionary principle would say, you, you don't blow up that building until you've actually checked that that the building is clear because otherwise your actions could actually be doing harm and you've failed to act in a morally responsible way there. And so I think that's a factor that needs to be considered in all of this when we think about vaccines and usage and safety data and what we do and don't know. Uh, There are the sort of the general harms in society that are happening as a result of this sort of this push for and introduction of in different places, these vaccine mandates. It creates social divisions. It creates two classes of people and uh, um, you know, well away from the actual vaccine itself. So it's teaching society to think about their fellow countrymen and countrywomen through this particular binary lens. Are you vaccinated or are you unvaccinated? Because if you're unvaccinated, you are, uh, you are, you are, you are unclean, you are a threat to my health or to the health of our society, you're an outsider, uh, you're an agitator, you know, you're a, you're ignorant, you're a danger, whatever it might be, but you, you, you're fostering. It actually fosters those kinds of social divisions. And, and if you don't think this can happen, I had a friend of mine the other day who told me this, a good friend of his who was sort of half joking, but he called him a plague rat. So my friend is, is vaccine hesitant. His other friend who called him the plague rat, plague rat is pro-vaccine and he's in another part of the world. And my friend told me, 
that his mate who called him a plague rat uh, said that, oh, yeah, that's what they're, in his particular country now, that's how they're referring to the unvaccinated. They're calling them plague rats. I, I just couldn't get my head around that because they were sort of laughing and joking about it. But I, I, that the, the analogy of rats has been used in so many incidents of dehumanization throughout human history. That has been one of the insults, the derogatory terms and comparisons that has been made to the group that are being ostracized that then end up being on the receiving end of some extremely unjust and often truly evil treatments. And and I, I just it's astounding to me that people are doing that. But that's an example of what happens. You get this, you know, this simplistic have you got the vaccine or not? Binary applied. And then it, it flows out from there and you start to create social expectations and social visions and and uh, societies of what society, how, uh, visions of what society should or shouldn't be and who are the threats to that vision, etc. I think it will also, uh, forced and compelled vaccination will also foster ongoing resentment and possibly even worse. Uh, if you want to radicalise people in unhealthy ways, you know, this is the kind of behaviours you engage in to do that. I think it just fuels uh, conspiracy theorists because it just plays into conspiracy theories. I told you, I told you that, you know, because let's be honest, last year we had a whole slew of world leaders who were saying, look, no, 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 there's not going to be compulsory vaccinations and vaccine mandates. And now now that is starting to become the norm, you know. And and, and what you're doing is you're just fueling, you're throwing fire, uh, throwing petrol on the conspiracy theory fire. I think it creates very serious ongoing distrust and this is, this is really important. There will be a not inconsiderable number of people, even people who end up getting the vaccine, uh, who will then go on to have an ongoing problem of trust with the state, with governments, uh, with medicine, and uh, those in the practice of medicine. Because generally and currently, I think this is the norm at the moment, is that we understand that our doctors and healthcare providers are on our side, that they advocate for the patient. They're not there to impose things upon us. But once you do that once in a major way like this, then that there's no doubt that changes the nature of the relationship for a lot of people and how they will view healthcare workers and how they will view the state. And they will say, okay, is this um, forcing of therapies, is this forcing of things upon me that I don't consent to, is this going to be a future thing now? It's going to create that sort of distrust, and it's going to be ongoing, I would suggest. Um, there are going to be deaths and other harms that would result from this particular vaccine. We know, thankfully, it's not in the majority that we're aware of at this stage. It does seem to be in the minority, right? And that's a good thing. But the simple fact is there are still, and it doesn't matter how small that number is, there are still a number of people who will die and who will be harmed in other ways, and a lot of those serious because of the vaccine itself. And if those people had been free to actually make a different choice, and without the compulsion, without the being forced, they would have chosen not to do it, then those people would be alive today, or they will be alive at the end of the vaccination campaign. And, and so that's a serious moral problem right there. It's a very, very serious moral problem with having... It's, it's different if someone is able to choose for themselves so they know the risk. And as long as they've been honestly given and presented all of the facts and not been lied to or in any way about harms, then if they say, look, I'm still going to take the risk, there's, there's no moral issue there. 
But if they've been compelled to do it, then there is a moral problem here as a result of someone getting harmed or dying. Uh, here's a question to consider. W- what are we going to do with those who, who says, well, my conscience prevents me from receiving this vaccine? Have people really considered what, what, what this is? Because if you're talking about forced vaccinations and vaccine mandates, are you willing, would you be willing to do this to your own brother or sister, your own mother or father, your own son or daughter, sack them from a job and, and put them into a situation where they, can, they can't find gainful employment and possibly never can again, and as a result, they lose everything, are unable to pay their mortgage, feed their families, things like that. Would you be willing to do that to one of your own family members? Well, if you're not willing to do it to one of your own family members, don't you dare stand up and say, well, I'm willing to subject other people to something I wouldn't tolerate myself or wouldn't do to my own people. And, and, and have you considered what this actually means? What Those who are agitating for forced vaccinations, what, what happens when people say, well, my conscience prevents me from doing this? Are, are you going to, because it seems to me this necessitates a, a next step at some point, if you're firmly committed to this particular totalitarian ideology, are you going to start arresting people? Do they go to prison? Do they face major fines? You know, what, what exactly, how, how far does this thing go? And have you considered what happens to those who say, well, my conscience prevents me from doing this? This is a very serious issue here. There's a very, very serious issue attached to this. And people just running around. I think it's fear-based, really. People are so scared. They don't even realize it. But they're afraid. And they think, no, no, just do it, do it, do it. It's one of the things that's been so surprising to me in this whole thing is how quickly and easily that can take hold and break down societal norms. Um, there's a risk, I think, to public safety here with forced vaccination campaigns, and particularly in the current climate where there's uncertainties. So what happens if we mount a forced vaccination campaign and then data starts to appear which indicates that this vaccine doesn't have, say, long-term safety? And it's actually done some harm to people. And it might not even be a, a majority. It might, it might be a, you know, just a, a minority of people. But it, it's a significant number of people. Will a government that has mandated vaccines tell the truth about that? Or will they try and hide the data or hide the facts to avoid liability? I would suggest that history would tell us and human nature would tell us that, that the first instinct will be to try and actually avoid liability. And you see... That the only reason that that need to hide liability exists is because they've first taken the first step, which is forcing everyone to get vaccinated. But if they weren't forcing them, well, there's no need to hide it, right? You can deal with the data and the chips as they fall. But once you artificially construct a situation and, and you, you introduce the artificiality, if you like, of forcing people to do it, then all of a sudden you don't really want to let the chips fall where they may. You know, truly, truly moral people will, but generally what happens in power is truly moral behaviour is, is corrupted and is discouraged and disincentivized, and so people act the other way. And, and there's, a, there's a risk to public safety because of that. I think it's a, now, you know, it's, it's not guaranteed that that will happen, but it is a risk factor I think you're introducing when you introduce forced vaccination. I think a good question, let me sort of try and wrap things up a little bit with a com- bit of commentary to end this all out. Is I think a question worth considering here is, what is the motivation for forced vaccinations? What is the motivation here? Is it actually a genuine love of the good? And I mean truly good, not just a, 
a self-gratification type good or a, or a pragmatic or a sort of an expediency here to achieve a particular outcome. But is there a genuine love of the good, of what is truly good? Is, is it a love of, of goodness and truth that actually motivates this? Because if it's not, I think there's a problem. Is it perhaps fear that is motivating this? I think, I think that's a big factor. I think it would be not just naive, but I think it would be delusional to say that fear is not driving a lot of these pushes for compulsory vaccine mandates. Is it political desperation? Politicians who are used to either dealing with problems that are easily solved and so they don't stain their reputation and, and don't threaten their ability to get re-elected, uh, you know, or problems they can sort of push under the rug and, and get away with, versus a problem like this, which you can't do either of those two things too. You can't push it under the rug and you can't easily solve it. It's, it's just not how this works. And so the longer it goes on, the more politically stained and tainted by it they get, the more desperate they get because they know that their hold on political powers is threatened by it. So quick, 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 get everyone vaccinated and we'll, we can go back to the status quo where we actually don't have our political power jeopardized as much. Plus, you know, we could always we get the added bonus of being able to say, look, we saved you, you know, assuming it all works. Is, is there a, 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 a sense of corporate bullying going on here? I mean, corporations that stand to make a megaton of cash, the kind of fantasy revenue making that most corporations, most businesses would only ever fantasize about. It's like winning the lotto, pandemic profiteering. It doesn't even have to be particularly malicious. It just has to be the natural cycle of, of uh, you know, business and corporate life that is not well governed by virtue. It doesn't have to be much. The compass doesn't have to shift much for you to end up way off course. You know, if, if, if your compass is off by a portion of a degree and you keep following that portion of a, good, a degree off, you're not going to get to your safe destination. You're going to get, end up way off. That's, that's how this can happen. And so th there's a question here. Is, it, is, it, is this really... Is this truly a governmental strategy that's being driven by sound, clear, level-headed thinking? Or is it a, a, a corporate strategy that's come from a corporation that sort of said to governments, hey, we can get you out of a problem. Governments are, are fearful, they're politically desperate, and so they've embraced it. And if you say, oh, I wouldn't be that, Brendan, you're too cynical, I would say then you're, you need to become a better student of history and of human nature. You just do. It's not cynicism. I think that's a realistic take on the danger that exists regarding human nature, power, fear, a time of great crisis. It's all there. It's all there on the table right now. And people are acting right now as if none of it's on the table, as if we're not in a, effectively in a war footing, which changes everything. It changes the psyche of everyone, of governments, of leaders, of everyone, as if somehow there's no massive profit motivation at stake here. As if somehow there, there's, there's no massive climate of fear all around the globe. Those things are happening. We're right in the middle of that, that storm right now. We're right in the middle of the stew. And, and when you're sitting right in the middle of a storm, this is often when good judgment just goes out the window very, very quickly. So I think it's naive to say, well, it's, it's actually not naive. It's delusional to say those things are not a factor or couldn't be a factor at all. I mean, that that's not simply optimism. I think that's a a rational form of optimism. It's a misplaced optimism. It's a, 
it's a sense of a belief in possibilities that is completely detached from the truth about human nature and about human societies and about power and the function of power and, and all those kinds of things. The, the simple truth is that we don't really have clear sight yet about all of this stuff. We will only really get that with hindsight. The moment, as I said, we're still in the middle of the, of the storm. So that means we don't have clear sight. We might think that our, destin, you know, our destination is, is right there. And if we just chart this course, we'll get to safe harbor. But in actual fact, we might be wrong. That in actual fact, safe harbor might be in the exact opposite direction. But we can't tell that right now. And I think some people are sort of talking and, and acting as if we have absolute foolproof certainty and we've got clear sight about all of this. No, no, we, we actually don't. We won't have that for a while. None of us will. Uh, one thing I'd say too is I think just to sort of wrap this all up is I, I think be wary of, of manipulation or claims of moral imperatives. So be wary of people who will say to you, you have a moral imperative to get vaccinated. Uh, that, that is not true. People who try and manipulate you into getting vaccinated by suggesting that you are you are failing morally if you don't. No, that is not true. No one should be doing that to another person. No one should be saying, uh, you know, it's a moral imperative that you don't get vaccinated or it's a moral imperative that you do get vaccinated. No one should be trying to manipulate someone out of a vaccine. No one should be trying to manipulate someone to getting a vaccine. None of that should be happening. So just be aware of that. And often that's around language and phrasing. And I think all of us need to be aware of that. And I've, Hopefully you sort of gleaned that from my podcast and public communications about this. I'm trying to actually avoid that trap. And for some people, I know they find that frustrating and they call me irresponsible and they say, oh, you know, you're a public leader and it's disgraceful. And, you know, I, I take that responsibility very, very seriously. I get that. Trust me, I understand. It. And I take it probably more than you would know. That weight that I feel on my shoulders of when you have a public voice where you're engaging on issues that it's very easy for you to allow your own biases, your own deceptions, your own blind spots to lead others astray. And, and I, I take that I take that very seriously. I, I am striving to do my best here to actually not manipulate in either direction, to not impose moral imperatives upon people. I'm thinking through this for myself as we go in a lot of ways, but I am doing that not just with some arbitrary self-interest and not just arbitrary application of concepts that, that are sort of detached from anything deeper. Uh, certainly not with a teenage libertarian radical individualism. That's not me at all. If you know me, you know I reject such doctrines. It, instead, it's trying to apply the best uh, sound moral truths that I can to these questions. Uh, and I, I think that's what we should all be trying to do. I think a more balanced and less authoritarian approach will actually lead to greater uptake of vaccines in the end, especially as more people start to see. If the safety profile is good, then guess what? It will become so exceedingly clear, it will become overwhelming and we'll get to a point where you won't need to cajole people. There will only be a tiny minority of people who say, well, that's not for me because they will still have, at that point, you will be dealing with people who might hold only irrational fears and they're a very small group. There's actually a much larger group, I would suggest, who have what I think are very rational concerns. And those concerns are not being satisfied right now. But I think a lot of them will be in time if, as we carry on through this, it becomes clear that, okay, 
the hopes were justified. The hopes were justified. They've been satisfied. And I think you'll get a lot more greater uptake. But if you start forcing people, I think you're actually going to drive people underground or away. And, and, and that's not going to be a good thing. I mean, I know people who have got the vaccine already who are extremely concerned about forced vaccination and all the talk that's going on around this because they understand there, there's two separate principles here. One is, you know, there were two separate issues. One is the getting of the vaccine. And the second is the principle of, of compelling and forcing people to do something that they don't consent to in this type of situation. I think we also need to, to you know, look at what, what other options are available. You know, like, for example, and, and some of my other content, we've talked about Novavax. It seems to have um, some advantages over, the, the, you know, the Pfizer vaccine that's on offer here in New Zealand. You know, where, where is that? Why not make that available? That might actually solve the hesitancy issue for a lot of people. Again, it's, it's not a binary. So for, for a lot of people, it's, it's not simply, I don't want a vaccine. It's this particular vaccine is the one that concerns me. But once you give me one that's actually, I've got a lot more confidence in, I'll go that way. You see, and it's, you know, it's, it's just it's not that simple. As, as I said, people try to make it out as simplistic binary. It is not. There is an irony, by the way, I've noticed in all of this actually is, and I sort of it, it dawned on me the other day, that I'm seeing some of the same people who were just a few short months ago were saying, no, 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 no. We shouldn't be rushing to open the economy. You know, don't, don't, because, because for the, because there's all these risks that we don't know about, we definitely shouldn't be rushing to open the economy. While now some of them I've seen are actually promoting the exact opposite ideology. So what they're doing is they're saying, well, you know, we need to get things back on track and this is the way to do it. So no, no, don't worry about the risks. <laughs> we need to get the country opened up again. So just get that vaccine. And that is, that's, the, that's the exact opposite stance to what they've taken previously, which is don't rush. And that's always been my thing is don't rush. I saw an op-ed piece yesterday in the New Zealand media saying, oh, we won't get our 90%. It'll take the current rate. It'll take us till December to get 90% coverage. And I'm like, so? December's not that far away. You know, what fantasy island did you think you were going to get this coverage in two weeks? It's that kind of artificial pressure and rushing that actually creates the danger and the, uh, the very, very dangerous and unhealthy motivation and pressure to start forcing people to do things they don't want to do. So, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, again, we need that. Those, this is why sound moral principles matter. Moral truth matters. And I think caution matters here a lot. And, and the way to achieve that is to, to just to stop rushing, take more time to consider what's going on. Um, and the other thing, just to finish with, I'd say, is I think we need to be very, very wary of forced vaccinations that are actually disguised as voluntary vaccinations. So people are being forced to receive a vaccine in certain areas or they lose a job or they can't access a supermarket. Now, to have someone turn around and say, oh, no, well, you're not forced to get the vaccine, but you can't shop at a supermarket unless you do. That is, in practice, that is a compulsory forced vaccination scheme. Because are you really ter seriously telling me that there are not people out there who would have no choice but to get the vaccine or not have food because they don't have other people who perhaps who can shop for them? Or, or they can't afford to actually be without a job because they can't pay their mortgage and feed their family without it. These are, make no mistake about it. And I think this is one of the great things that really has, has irked me and angered me about this is people who otherwise seem to have good moral principles who are supporting 
these forced vaccination schemes that suddenly were foisted upon people who previously didn't have them. I think it's one thing to go into a situation where you are applying for a new job and they say, well, in this particular field now to work here, we require people to be to have a vaccination. So new staff members who sign up after the fact. But we have a grandfather policy for our existing staff members and employees, so they have a choice. But if they leave here, and let's say they left this job, and then they wanted to come back in a year's time and, and start working here again, they would have to then be vaccinated. But in the meantime, those who've already got a job here who are gainfully employed, we're not going to unjustly uh, expel them from their job. We're going to allow them that freedom of conscience and we're going to do everything else we can to encourage the vaccination. Meanwhile, new people who come here, it will be a requirement from here on in. And I think that should have been the policy. And I think to me, that's a moral approach. But to just suddenly say to people who have worked in an industry or have worked in a profession, well, this new thing's arrived and now we're going to force you to do this thing or we're sacking you. I think there's something truly inhumane about that. And, and I think what really drives it to ultimately is fear at the end of the day a lack of proportional thinking about this issue and what really it is that we face. Look, I think that's all I want to say. There's a lot in there. I know this is probably, I think, our longest episode to date, uh, but hopefully that's clarified for you. This is part one. Part two is in the next episode, we'll look at this article, which I think is really great, which, as I said, I came across after I prepared the notes for this, but I discovered a fellow traveller, an intellectual and academic moral philosopher who was making a lot of these same points and some other really good ones that I really want us to... I think that this particular interview with him is, is absolutely worthy of our consideration. So we'll talk about that and we'll unpack that in the next episode. But hopefully what you've got here today is, is perhaps helped to clarify the issue for you and given you some understanding and a, and a greater awareness of where I come on this issue and where perhaps I think, I think what I've proposed here is consistent with the Judeo-Christian natural law tradition. I think it's absolutely consistent with it. There might be points of quibble, quibble people might have. I might not have got everything 100% right, but I think, my, I think I've, I've, I've touched the appropriate bases uh, that need to be touched um, to, to give a good accounting for that. So as I said, hopefully that's helpful and informative in, in some way for those who have listened. Um, a huge thank you to all of our patrons. You guys are awesome. You've made this episode possible. Don't forget, if you want to get those sort of four or five extra episodes of the Dispatches podcast every month, become a patron at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is in the show notes. $5 a month or more, anything, you know, $5 a, a, a per month contribution and above, you will get access to all of those extra episodes of the podcast as a, as a part of the the sort of thank you and, and, and um, our way of providing value for money in return for your support of this important independent media, media venture that we're engaged in at Left Foot Media. You guys are awesome. Thanks for tuning in. I will see you next time on The Dispatches. The Dispatches podcast is a production of Left Foot Media. If you enjoyed this show, then please help us to ensure that more of this great content keeps getting made by becoming a patron of our work at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Dispatches. Mm-hmm.